So Mary's already introduced um, Camilla a little bit, um, but uh, Camilla and Jerry are dear friends. And um, and Hampton Wick, um, it, it was St. John's Hampton Wick, is are just dear dear friends uh, to us. They kind of like Mary said, kind of older brothers to us. They they uh, support us in so many ways uh, through youth aspects that that we run together, or they run and we are able to join in on. Um, they our our worship team is supported by them in so many ways. They sent people um, early days to come and support this church into uh, its its formation in its new formation and so we, we are just so grateful for them and also really grateful that you're going to come and preach for us Camilla so thank you Camilla let's give her a little round of applause just as a welcome a St Mary's welcome thank you Camilla thank you so much thank you for your lovely welcome and amazing introduction um, getting to know Nate and Mary over the last few years has been one of our greatest blessings to us personally as a couple and we're great fans of theirs and we're great fans of everything that you're doing in this church we we are just constantly inspired by you so it's a great gift and personal treat for me to be here today so you've been looking at uh, a season of transformation how we're transformed by jesus when we encounter him and you've been looking at character charismata lots of brilliant things beginning with kuh and today we're looking at chemistry, a subject that I never studied at school. Um, it's a brilliant, brilliant thing. How does the chemistry of God's indwelling and interaction with us change us to influence people around us? As you know, it's the science that deals with the structure of substances, the transformations they undergo, when they react with other substances and the energy that is released and absorbed when that happens. So this is what we're looking at in spiritual terms this morning. God, as we all know, is the ultimate transformer, isn't he? He brought about chemical change from the very beginning of time, all through the Bible, through our lives, and right through to the end of time. He brings about transformation. I became a Christian 32 years ago by meeting people whose lives had been radically transformed by Christ. In the beginning, if we imagine the world, it was formless and empty. He spoke into that, and I can just imagine the sound waves of his spoken utterance going into blur, going into a void and nothingness, and causing a chemical change that created something new that wasn't there before. Matter, substance, form, light, healthy boundaries, beauty. In the Old Testament, I think of Ezekiel's vision of, of dry bones that illustrates something of this, a dry bunch of dry bones that suddenly are covered with flesh and have the breath of the Holy Spirit breathed on them to form new life. In the New Testament, we see Jesus' very first miracle, creating a chemical transformation of molecules from water molecules to the finest vintage of the best wine. It's an illustration of what he does and how well he transforms. In the loaves and fishes miracle, it's a multiplication of matter. He takes our not enough and he makes it more than enough. In the raising of Lazarus, we see the ultimate chemical change in the physical realm. He speaks to a dead body as though it's alive and, and Lazarus walks out of the grave. And then, of course, the ultimate chemical change in the spiritual realm 
He takes our sin and our yuck and the stuff that we do wrong and he transforms it into glory, illustrated perfectly through Jesus' death and resurrection. So that is what he does, we know that. And this is what he calls us to do as well. So how do we keep perpetuating this ripple effect of chemical change in our own lives and out into the lives of those around us? The passage that Nate just read shows us this opposing pull between these gratifying the desires of our flesh that we want to do versus living a life full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Our society, as we know, labors heavily under this great misconception that gratifying our own personal desires, the leanings and yearnings of our bodies and our heart, equates to freedom, leads to happiness and fulfillment. Nobody tells me what to do, I do it my way, I want it, so I'm entitled to have it. The truth is that spiritually, that road actually leads to enslavement, the opposite of freedom. Those things that are billed as freedom, when taken to their natural fulfillment, usually lead to disillusionment, emptiness, ultimately hopelessness, and even to despair. But when we nurture our relationship with God, when we feed it, the Holy Spirit leads us into a way that is juicy with good fruit. And that is where we want to pay our attention. That is where true freedom is. So what is the catalyst for change, to use a chemical term? Verse 16 of this passage says, live by the Spirit. That's interesting. Live by the Spirit. What does that look like? My first point is that the catalyst, I think, starts with an understanding of the chemistry of God's indwelling, to know our identity, to know that chemical change in ourselves. When we talk about love your neighbor as yourselves, it's important that we start with the ourselves bit, just for a minute, that, that we know our, our own wholeness in Christ. Some of us were not brought up um, in a way that resulted with that knowledge for very good reasons. I have always struggled with this. Um, I've been a Christian 32 years, and I feel like God's made this really real to me this year. If you think about identity as being something that is meant to be solid, okay, it's meant to be like a rock, full and solid. Mine was like mousse. Some of you may remember blancmange. It was all sort of soft and flowing. Um, I was very heavily perfectionist in attitude, constantly demanding the impossible of myself. I was not, no real boundaries to speak of. Didn't really know where I ended and other people began. Quite toxic when you're in any form of leadership. Not that I, you know, inadvertent leadership, running a church. Um, and people-pleasing. I was at a party recently, and it was actually my best friend's party, so you'd have thought that was my happy place. But at this party, there were some women there who I really admire. I don't know them very well. Deeply impressive, incredible jobs, incredible people. And I, and I went into this cycle of comparison and um, uh, um, just feeling on the back foot. Um, I said hardly anything all evening, uh, had minimum interaction with these people, and couldn't wait to leave. The next night, I'm sitting in church, and we're singing that song that goes, I'm already known, already chosen, already loved. I am enough because you are enough. 
Because we've, before we've done anything, we are those things. And this is my recent revelation. You know when God says to Moses in, ex in Exodus, I am who I am, that always used to puzzle me. What does that mean, I am who I am? And I just suddenly thought, I am it equals full identity, completion, wholeness, fullness, and solidity of being. The essence of the chemistry within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who we worship, is a constant giving and receiving of love. It's a constant delighting in the other and being delighted in by the other. That is the chemistry that we have inherited. We have that DNA literally living inside us. And we, when we accept Christ, are literally living inside. That's the chemistry. And I think we need to know that in our core to get our affirmation from that. We are already known, loved, and chosen. That is the only perfect chemistry, the only thing that solidifies my chemistry, my identity. It's where it is set and completed. Nothing else can do that. It's like the atmosphere that sets the lava into solid rock. And that understanding, I think, needs to be in our hearts and in our minds if we are to affect anyone in any positive way, I think. It means we can show up with both feet forward, ready to be used and fully alive. Because when we feel worthless, like I did at that party, we are debilitated and it stops us being effective in pointing to Christ. Sadly, it's a really effective tactic of the enemy. That's what he does. And so we live by his spirit when we practice that presence. And all that means is we, kept, we keep checking into an awareness of him in our minds. Secondly, walking with the Spirit and God's interaction with us means he shines a light on our stuff, on our immorality, on the leanings of our flesh, on the stuff that entraps us. He shines a light. When we find our true identity in him, he enables us to recognize it. It's like he gives us spiritual eyes to see it so that together with Christ we can put, put it to death. He literally shows us. I was driving on the M5 the other day uh, with the family. We were driving to Devon on holiday, and suddenly I have this light bulb moment. I could see a pattern of behavior that I have done for years, and which for years I'd thought, oh, that's just me being Italian. That's what I do. And actually, it's a, it's a pattern of sin. I suddenly saw it objectively outside myself. I could see that I used to flirt with specific friends of mine, male friends of mine. I'd have banter and jokiness, but it was actually, I was like, oh, it's just me, it's just what I do. Actually, I could see, that, no, that's flirting. That's stepping outside a really healthy boundary. That is not honoring their marriage, and it's not honoring my marriage. And I, it was literally like light bulb. I was like, oh my gosh, sorry, Lord, that's what that was. And that evening, I, I spoke about it to Jerry, and we prayed, and... I received God's forgiveness for it. This is what it means when he leads us into truth. He shines light on things that have been hidden so that we can get rid of them. This is amazing, isn't it? We, when we get to confess it out loud to a trusted person, we say sorry and God removes it. It's like the metal purifying process. The dross comes up and it gets swiped away. And God does this in our lives again and again and again because he purifies us from one degree of glory 
into another. So if you're ever feeling convicted about a specific thing, be encouraged that it's a great sign of the Holy Spirit at work in you. If you're feeling generally condemned and a bad person, that is not from the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I'd encourage you to find a trusted person in your life. This is quite hard for us Anglicans. I was brought up in the Catholic Church, and that was one really helpful thing I took from it. If you, if you can be brave and just say it out loud to somebody that you can trust, the enemy is disarmed. The enemy flees, and that thing loses its power. Thirdly, being led by the Spirit means he teaches us not to be led by the enemy. We listen to God and we obey him. We deliberately and continually die to our old self, which collaborates with evil. That is what the leanings of our old self go to. Somebody said, if we don't practice the presence of God, we will practice the presence of another. So who are we listening to and obeying? About six months ago, I got a text from a family member which represented a really difficult, ongoing situation. And in my heart, I read this text and I went, oh, this is hopeless. Couldn't reply to it, just parked it. And during the week, something really interesting started to happen. Every day, I became more and more listless. I worked from home, couldn't do any work. Literally, all I could do was lounge around on sofas, thinking dark thoughts and being really sad. And cooking a meal for the family was this gargantuan effort. Until Saturday night, last thing at night, I'm sitting with Jerry, and I say to him, I think this, I don't know what's, what's happening. It's like I could, I could tell, well, let's just pray. The minute we started praying, I could suddenly see the text in my mind. And I suddenly thought, I have agreed with hopelessness right there. Where does hopelessness come from? The pit, the enemy. I have agreed with the enemy over the situation. Lord, forgive me for doing that. And we've just prayed. We had a quick communion. Amen. Went to bed. The next morning, I am completely right as ninepence again. I'm totally myself again. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying that depression is, is due to unconfessed sin. I'm not a chemical, profession, a chemical a, a medical professional. You must hear me. It's a, that's a, it's a complex area, and I don't pretend to know what I'm talking about. But all I am saying is, isn't that interesting? Let's just notice what we're agreeing with and who we are agreeing with. You see, Satan tempts us to many things, including despair. There's an old hymn that goes, when Satan tempts me to despair. That is what he wants to do. He wants us to ignore God and choose him instead. This is a battle we're in, guys. And, but when we give God a chance, all I literally did was uh, I started to pray. He shows us things, and then we're able to, to put that stuff to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. Over and over, we are transformed by these processes. And lastly, I think to affect the chemistry around us with the people that we interact with, we need to know in our hearts that nothing is impossible for God. And I think over COVID, many of us have had that truth dimmed in our lives. We've seen a lot of dread, death, a lot of grief, a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. And that knowledge has been clouded over a little bit, including mine. But I just wanted to remind you of a story. This is a book that many of us read when it came out a while ago, The Heavenly Man. If you haven't read it, I can't recommend it enough. It's about a, a Chinese pastor in the persecuted underground church in China called Brother Yun. And it, this is all stories during the 80s and 90s. 
and uh, the, the end of this book is his story. He had been imprisoned many, many times over his life uh, for his faith, and this one time, by this stage, he has been declared an enemy of the state, and he is put in a high-security prison from which no one has ever escaped. Just to be sure, they break both his legs so that he can't even attempt it. So he's been in this cell for months. His friends have to carry him to the latrine every day. This is his reality. And then one morning he wakes up and uh, the whole church back, back home, his whole church has been fasting the whole week. And by the end of the week, he wakes up and he has a vision of his wife saying to him, why don't you open the iron door? And then he, he, he reads his Bible and a verse jumps out of him. And then, um, and then he hears an audible voice saying, this is the hour of your salvation. And he thinks, right, I think I might, this might be the time that I need to actually try and escape. So without computing how until later, because he hasn't been able to walk, he stands and he, he asks to visit the latrine. He, he's, he, his inmate opens the door to his cell. He walks out. He walks down the corridor to a door which is not, you, you can't open from the inside, you can only open it from the outside. A guard comes through, opens the door, does not see him. Brother Yun walks past. This happens three times, down three, three levels, three corridors. He walks to the door, the door opens towards him, a guard comes past, does not see him, he walks through. He goes downstairs, he crosses the main courtyard of this high security, huge prison, full of inmates and guards. He gets to the front gate, which is just ajar. He slips out, and he gets into a taxi, and he gets to a friend's house. The next morning, his wife has had a vision that her husband has escaped from prison, and the friends that she's with laugh at her. Nevertheless, she gets into a taxi, and she goes to the same friend's house, and she meets her husband. And this is what she says. She says, then the whole incident of my husband's prison escape and the way God told me about it in my vision completely enlarged my understanding of God's greatness. For the first time, I really knew that absolutely nothing is impossible for him. And I just love for our, for our understanding of his greatness to be enlarged as well this morning. When we know that literally nothing is impossible for him, it strengthens our trust, and that overflows into the words we speak in our everyday little situations or big situations. I recently had something that felt very big, a member of my close family. Um, I'd become aware of a dynamic that happened 40 years ago, which ideally what I, involved a deep desire, and I just felt God really calling me to confess it with this person and pray about it. But that may sound simple, but actually with this particular person, it, it was going to take a miracle to actually voice the situation, talk about it, and then pray out loud. And they were staying with me for a week, and every day I just felt sick in my stomach. I'm like, when do I bring this up? How do I bring this up? Oh, is it now? Is it not now? Oh, they're having a cup of tea. Should I? You know, this awful. And I felt God remind me of Abraham and Isaac. And you remember when they're going up Mount Moriah, and Abraham is willing to sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac goes, Daddy, we've got the fire and the wood. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham goes, God himself will provide the sacrifice. And again, Isaac says, and again, where is the sacrifice? Abraham says, God himself will provide the sacrifice. Abraham didn't have anything that he could see or touch to tell him that that was really going to happen. 
and yet he spoke out in faith that God had it. God has got it sorted. Whatever it looks like, God's got it. And then God intervenes. And that refrain every day kept me going. I have no idea when I'm going to have this hideous conversation, but God, you're going to provide the sacrifice. Half an hour before they left the house, the conversation naturally came to the right subject. We were able to say it, confess it, if you like, and invite God into the situation, which has had radical ramifications over my whole family. I think it's powerful when we speak out faith prophetically rather than in agreement with what we can see, agreement with fear and skepticism and, and reality, if you like. We need to be in agreement with supernatural reality. What are the situations that seem hopeless in the natural in your life that you have agreed are dead? Because with our words, we can unknowingly give permission for grave clothes to be wrapped around them like Lazarus. Or we can offer up those situations to what God can do and give him permission to do what he does. I'll give you a tiny example of this. A couple of years ago, I was around at some friend's house and they, I make Christian greeting cards and they said, oh, Camilla, do you do Chris, Christmas cards? And I've never done them and I, and I started my usual pat answer, no, I don't do them, my images aren't right for Christmas cards, da, 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 da. but these people do brilliant ones, why don't you go there? And he just went, oh, Lord, we just pray that you'd give Camilla a Christmas card. And I went, oh, so nice, amen, and I left. The next morning, I'm on the school run in the car, and in my mind pops an image of one of my photos that will be perfect for a Christmas card. The next second, a verse appears in my mind of the verse that would go with the image, and then the charity that would benefit from the sale of these cards. By the end of the week, I'd got them printed and they'd sold out. Can you see what happened there? My friend had an option to bat away my no, 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 not, not, death, no, not, no, 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 answer into the shame never mind corner but instead he chose to bat it over to God well God you do it all I did was to say yes amen i.e. let it be so i.e. over to you God these declarations may seem small but they that they change the atmosphere around us so let's watch what we say and what we are releasing into the atmosphere around us. Are we speaking life or death? Are we acknowledging the state of things as we see them or faith of what could be? When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he speaks to a dead body as though it is alive because, as, as Paul says in Romans, he is the God who gives life to, to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. And I think he wants us to call things that are not as though they are in ourselves and in other people. The problem is our culture calls this wishful thinking. But I think our God calls it obedience and he sees it as trust. Jesus calls Lazarus in his grave bandages with a loud voice, Lazarus, out you come. And I think the same Holy Spirit is calling to us, out you come. And because of his presence in us, he wants us to call out over others, over situations that seem impossible, out you come. It's the difference between saying, oh, this is hopeless, and this feels impossible, so over to you, God. Nothing is impossible for you. And the, 
the biggie here, which is a sermon in its own right for another time, even if he doesn't answer in the way that we want him to answer, we choose to remain firm in the knowledge of who he is and who we are. And we choose every time not to be offended and not to shrink back. This is easier said than done, and I've, it's a personal challenge. It's easy for me to say this kind of thing, standing up here. It's challenging, isn't it? But as somebody said to me, let's be Teflon-coated. Let's be Teflon-coated. We don't let offenses stick onto us from other people, and we don't let disappointment stick on us either, because that, that makes us shrink away. And so to recap and to close, let's be assured of our wholeness in him, and his in us, and go there often in our mind. Let's be expectant that he does lead us, and he does reveal stuff that he doesn't want us to be enslaved by anymore. Let's be willing to confess it, ideally out loud to somebody, to ask and then to receive his forgiveness and live out of a forgiven place. That is where true freedom lies. Let's be assured that nothing is impossible for him. And let's be willing to speak out a new narrative, choose new words over ourselves and others. I believe by the Holy Spirit, he does that. He's done that in me in this last year. He's changed the negative self-talk and outward talk into, into the opposite. He turns us around. Like Brother Andrew said, the founder of Open Doors, don't curse the darkness, but light a candle. And with our words, we can bring light. We can declare faith and by doing so we usher in the physical and the spiritual presence and power of God. Amen. <laughs>